From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Berry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where you get a focused look at stories from our radio newsrooms across the country. Today, On Deadline is looking at ex-Congressman George Santos, some would even say disgraced former Congressman George Santos, who allegedly lied to donors about money they donated to his campaign, and he actually spent that money on luxury goods, travel, Botox, and the online porn purveyor OnlyFans. Last week, the House of Representatives voted to expel Santos, a historic moment that saw the Republican bounced from Congress. It's safe to say that Santos made more headlines in 11 months than some representatives do in their entire careers. Identity theft, thousands in fake unemployment benefits, false loans. He even lied about going to a prestigious high school in the Bronx and then lied about going to college at New York University. It turns out he had a GED and hadn't even gone to college. His resume said that he'd worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, but representatives from both companies told the New York Times they had no record of his employment. All of this left many wondering about who we elect to serve us and what those decisions mean about the country as a whole. Flash over substance is the theme. Candidates made only for social media soundbites. The Santos saga also left pundits dissecting how far the GOP was willing to go to protect its fragile majority in the House. Okay, here's where the whole thing started. In November 2022, Santos was elected to represent a New York district encompassing parts of Long Island. Then, in December of that same year, a report from the New York Times shed light on the early lies that Santos had issued while campaigning. Responding to those early reports, Santos admitted to the New York Post that he had, quote, embellished his resume. Soon after the Times report, the forward raised concerns about whether Santos was even Jewish. Now, that mattered because he had told reporters that his grandparents had survived the Holocaust, and he described himself as Jewish and Latino many times. He later told Piers Morgan that his Jewishness was a, quote, party favor joke, or whatever that means. As Santos's stories unraveled, the investigation started. After entering office, Santos had complaints filed against him with the Justice Department and the FEC, allegations of sexual harassment by a former aide, and finally, an investigation by the House Ethics Committee. Alan Sanders, professor emeritus of political science at St. Peter's University, joined Odyssey in Santos's own state to share some more on the expulsion. Professor, your thoughts on today's historic vote? Well, it certainly was a historic moment because this is only the sixth time uh, that the House has voted to expel a member. Uh, What's really interesting is that both the Republican leadership and the Democratic leadership said that uh, the vote would be a matter of conscience. That is to say, they wouldn't whip uh, the votes one way or the other. And so this was really a test of the House uh, to what its conscience was and how it would consciously and conscientiously assess the Santo situation. And now we know the result. There was a two-thirds majority to expel uh, George Santos. Are you, I don't know if impressed is the word or surprised, but the fact that enough Republicans did vote to expel him at a time where their majority in the House is pretty slim, or was that uh, was that notable? Yes, it was notable. And you could see that split in who actually voted for or against the expulsion of Santos. 
Clearly, the leadership of the Republican Party voted to keep him in, and that's because they know that they have a very frail majority and the loss of any one vote uh, will endanger Republican priorities in the House. However, uh, there was a uh, split in the party. About half of the Republican Party voted to expel Santos because they knew that in the upcoming election, certainly in New York, but also in other states, Santos would be the poster boy of Republican co corruption. And so uh, it split. Uh, this really was a lose-lose situation for the Republican Party party because, uh, you know, one way they lose, the other way they lose. And this was a difficult vote for them. And that's why the party split uh, pretty much right down the middle on, on the Santos question. You know, Santos had said his expulsion will set a bad precedent. It'll be a, a tit for tat of expulsions uh, between the two parties. Is that a possibility? Could he be, he be right on that? Well, of course, in politics, anything is possible. Yeah. But let's understand, it takes a two-thirds vote to expel uh, someone from the House of Representatives under the constitutional rule. And uh, you've got to take a look at all of the evidence that was amassed by the House Ethics Committee uh, to reach the conclusion that uh, Mr. Santos should be expelled. So I think when you get all the facts together, you get a precedent that shows that you really have to have really compelling evidence, and you have to come up with a two-thirds vote. Let's not forget that this was the third vote on George Santos. The first two times, there was no two-thirds vote uh, that was reached. So it shows that really to expel a member, you really have to have a bipartisan consensus, not just a partisan consensus. And as we all know, bipartisan consensus on something that could affect majority control of the House or really any kind of control of any aspect of the House is very hard to obtain. So, yes, it is a precedent. But it's a precedent that indicates that you really have to have compelling evidence to show that a person is unfit to hold the office. The report from the House Ethics Committee played a major role in Santos's eventual expulsion from Congress. But some say it should never have gotten that far because any real assessment of Santos by the media or by the election system itself would have immediately taken him out of contention for office. Grant Lally, the publisher of the North Shore Leader, which first exposed Santos, joined Odyssey in New York City to discuss how quickly they were able to sniff out his fraud. Grant, thanks for being with us. What do you think happened? How did your expose not become bigger news at the time? You know, that, that's a complicated answer to that question. A lot of the major media doesn't cover local stories anymore. And even though we sent it out to the local area major media and we had endorsed that year, although we're, we're a Republican newspaper, we had endorsed the Democratic nominee, Robert Zimmerman, and he sent it out. A lot of the, the major media newsrooms uh, have been depleted and a lot of the research staff isn't there anymore. And uh, it they didn't pick it up. You met with Santos personally long before he became a candidate for Congress. You had an idea early on that something was off. Yeah, I mean, I, I met him just about four years ago in January 2020 for the first time. And I thought he was uh, a, you know, a complete weirdo the first time I saw him. I asked him some pretty detailed questions. Uh, he claimed to be a rich guy and his mother was a rich, well, very wealthy finance executive in Brazil. And I know Brazilians who are in finance and who are successful. He didn't know anything about the finance sector in Brazil. He didn't know anything about Brazilian society. He just smelled like a fraud from day one. So what lessons do you think need to be learned from this George Santos story? Real lessons are, number one, pay attention. Really look at people and figure out who, who they really are. 
and don't accept nonsense biographies, but really look at who they are. Number two, connect to local media. I mean, one of the one of the great lessons I think that should come from this is that media needs to communicate. When the story broke, when the New York Times broke the story, I talked to a lot of people internationally, but I didn't get a lot of calls from from the regional media on Long Island, and that that was mystifying to me. But, you know, I think it's jealousy. I think it's it's a bit of embarrassment that they didn't catch a story that was occurring right in their backyard. Another victim of Santos's serial lying is his former opponent, Robert Zimmerman. He lost to Santos in 2022 after beating him in 2020. Zimmerman blames a lack of oversight for what we could call the disaster that was Representative Santos's term. Zimmerman joined Odyssey to examine the holes in the system that Santos was able to slip and slide through. Robert, thank you so much for joining us again here on Drive Time. What were you thinking today as you watched the House kick Santos out? You know, it, it wasn't a day of celebration. It was, for me, a day of reflection, a long thought process of how we move forward. Because the reality is, the, the what George Santos disclosed and revealed through his petty crimes and being just nothing more than a nickel and dime hood, and really just a cheap gangster, what he exposed was the flaws in our system. The fact is, our Federal Election Commission, by their own admission, doesn't have the resources or staff to monitor and audit the reports that are filed, the campaign reports that are filed. And you can, and as George Santos proved, you can write anything on your financial disclosure form, your campaign reports, and there's no one to call you out for it. So there, we need to have a much tougher oversight of our campaign finance reports, and we need much more public engagement in monitoring campaigns and demanding greater accountability of candidates. How do you think that oversight should work or look like? What should we try to set up? Well, you know, I do believe we, we should go back to that time when we used to have debates on a regular basis and hold candidates accountable for if they didn't show up for debates. We should have community forums. When I ran against George Santos, he debated me twice or appeared to two debates and then never showed up again. He didn't appear in front of editorial boards. He went into a community meeting. He would do five or 10 minutes and they had a rush for his next meeting. So I think more public engagement with their campaigns are great. Do you have regrets, Robert? Do you wish your campaign and perhaps the entire Democratic Party had, had vetted Santos better? Well, you know, look, ironically and sadly, until my candidacy, nobody looked into this guy. He was running for Congress for four years. The Republican Party never vetted him locally. Uh, the uh, Democrat who ran before me, Tom Swazi, never did opposition research into him. And we did have the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee did do opposition research into him, produced an 87-page report. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not excusing what they missed that was certainly egregious. But I took opposition research so seriously, I did it on myself. But they did nail a lot of important issues. We did our best to sound the alarm, and many of the local media gave us credit for making that effort. But as many journalists pointed out after the campaign, there isn't the team, and many, many of our media outlets don't have the staff or personnel. Some really tried very hard to investigate into the uh, red flags around Santos. And these local races fall through the cracks. That's just a reality. That's just a reality of media coverage today of these races. So hopefully that can be improved for sure. But frankly, I'm very proud of our campaign. We had a between the redistricting that, of course, took the Democratic district away, made it a much more Republican district and the Republican landslide that cost us five congressional seats. We faced a lot of tough headwinds. But what makes today so significant, Michael, and so and so important is that this guy should have been removed months ago. The Republicans had this information on him for a long time. 
And I think we ought to hold those Republicans who defended him and kept him in office accountable for that conduct and also give a credit to so many civic groups that were out there with us demanding accountability, keeping the public pressure on. We're only at this moment where he was expelled because the public pressure and the media pressure required members of Congress to follow through and hold George Santos accountable. And individual members of Congress, like certainly Richie Torres and Dan, and Dan Goldman, have been heroic in that effort as well. Whether it be the wild claims, the SNL sketches, or the mere fact that he served for 11 months after lying his way into an elected seat, George Santos will probably not be easily forgotten. The now former representative is continuing to call out those who expelled him, saying last week before the vote that he wouldn't resign because those trying to remove him were actually bullying him. It's theater for the cameras and theater for the microphones and theater for the American people at the expense of the American people, Santos told reporters before being expelled. But no matter, you know, what it was, the Santos show is now over. At least we think so. The On Deadline podcast is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline. Odyssey serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed.